Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha! In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, come right in. Welcome back to another edition of Chairgating. This is Rattlesnake coming to you live from Austin, Texas. And I'm just flying solo this episode because I just wanted to do a quick rundown of what I thought about the Clash and also some of the qualifying times for the Daytona 500. Uh, this episode is going to be half today, which is Wednesday, and then the other half I'm going to do presumably Friday morning after I get to watch the duels and I get to know, you know, who's actually in the Daytona 500. So you're probably listening to this episode Friday or maybe even Thursday nights, depending on when I record that and get the episode up. Right now, however, I want to focus on The Clash, and boy, was it a doozy if you watched it or you keep up with NASCAR social media at all, you probably already have an opinion on it, but I'll just give a quick rundown of it. It was easily one of the worst races in memory that I have. I can't remember one worse. Uh, Paul Menard started first purely because of a drawing by his crew chief. And of the 59 completed laps, Paul Menard led 51 while Jimmy Johnson led 4. Kyle Busch won, and even my boy Austin Dillon led three to go with his car number, I guess. Most of the race was single-file driving, which is exactly what NASCAR was trying to get away from with this new package, so hopefully we don't see more of that this weekend. Eric Estep actually made a pretty good observation in his reaction to the race on his show Out of the Groove, which is on YouTube. Highly recommend checking it out. Obviously, he's a 
guest on this show, and we appreciate everything he has to say. But he mentioned that the top four of the first portion of the race were Penske guys or affiliates, which means they didn't want to put pressure on their teammates. And that makes sense, but nevertheless, it was a really boring race to watch. And to make matters even worse, this race was red flagged twice, just extending this excruciating excuse of a race. Inevitably, what led to being the most entertaining event of the race actually became the most controversial, and really the only thing for me to talk about in terms of the race. With what ended up being the final lap, Paul Menard led Jimmy Johnson and Kurt Busch in a tight 1-2-3 pack, one after another. Jimmy dipped down to make a pass on the inside and made contact with Paul, which led to what looked like a 15-car pileup. Maybe more. Literally almost all of the 20 cars in this race were completely wrecked after this. With that caution, more rain came and finally ended this horrible race. This was Jimmy Johnson's first win in a year and a half, but was a tough one to be excited for, even for Jimmy fans. I'm all for making a bold pass near the end of a race to try to get a win. Hell, I still stand behind Austin Dillon's win at the Daytona 500 last year. But this wreck seemed totally unnecessary. What I mean by that is I didn't see Paul Menard come down off his line to make a late block at all. And I also don't think Rain had anything to do with this contact. After re-watching it over and over, all I can see is Jimmy making contact with Paul on his pass, which was something I wouldn't expect from an experienced driver like Jimmy Johnson. And these things happen, so I, I don't usually hold you know, a grudge against a driver that makes some contact uh, on a tight pass. And if after watching the replay, he came out and apologized and just said, it was a mistake, I didn't. I don't wanna have to win a race like that, I think most people would understand that these things happen, but instead he essentially denied any fault in the wreck. And unlike most race fans, I actually have no problem with Jimmy, and in fact, would love to see him set the championship record before he retires, but this was just unfortunate to watch. Nevertheless, Jimmy seems completely rejuvenated this season, and I think it's because he wants to retire soon. That's just a speculation, but I think he wants to retire soon, and he wants to set the record first, which is maybe why he's coming out so strong so early. I just hope he's able to get it done without pissing everybody else off in the meantime. The biggest takeaway from Daytona so far, though, wasn't actually the clash, but was the qualifying times and what we can expect from Hendrick in 2019. Me and Eric discussed in the last episode where we ranked each team from the season, and so far Hendrick is making a pretty hard argument for superiority. Obviously, I just mentioned Jimmy Johnson won the clash, and regardless of how he won, he still had a great race and was in position to win even if he hadn't caused the wreck. Chase Elliott also looked pretty solid in the race, and I stand by my pick, as him for one of the three drivers I want to see win the Daytona 500, something me and Eric discussed in the last episode. If you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend listening to that episode because we go into quite a bit more detail of what we can expect for this season. What's more impressive, however, is William Byron with the fastest qualifying time. Obviously, this is just for the pole and not an actual race, but maybe moving Chad Kanass over to Byron this season will pay off as a really smart move. Alex Bowman had the second fastest qualifying time, securing both starting positions for Hendrick in the Daytona 500. Jimmy Johnson came in third and Chase Elliott in fourth, which means the Hendrick team completely swept 
the Daytona qualifying times. I also want to mention that the rookie Daniel Hemrick got the fifth fastest qualifying time in his new eight car that RCR replaced for Ryan Newman and RCR teammate Austin Dillon had the 10th fastest time. In total, the Chevys accounted for six of the top 10 times, all of the top five, while Ford only had three and Toyota had one. Just based on these times, it seems like Chevy might have finally figured out the kinks they had with the Camaro last year, thankfully, as I am a Chevy fan. So I guess in summary, the clash was a complete disaster, even with a win by Jimmy Johnson. But nevertheless, Hendrick looks like the team to beat right now, with their two least experienced drivers taking the fastest qualifying times. And I've actually had pretty high hopes for Daniel Hemrick coming into the Monster Series this year. I'm a big RCR fan, and I think he's a great driver, and I also love the idea of the team bringing back the 8 instead of using the 31. So his qualifying time just solidified those hopes, and I'm going to be following him pretty closely this year. I'll be extremely surprised if he doesn't win Rookie of the Year for 2019. I know that was a real quick, short you know, summary of what's been going on so far at Daytona, but uh, yeah, that's going to complete part one of this episode, and I'm going to come back with the second part after watching the duels so I know more about what drivers are in the race and how they're looking. So until then, enjoy this quick commercial break. And once again, if you want to support the podcast, if you enjoy what I do here, you enjoy my blogs on bellyupsports.com, the best thing you can do is just spread the word, get people listening. I also sell some pretty awesome t-shirts that I believe Eric's going to be wearing one of on his YouTube show, Out of the Groove. You know, buy a shirt, I don't really make any money from that, but just getting the word out there would really help and uh, really allow me to keep doing this and do uh, do what I love doing. Hopefully y'all love it as much as I do. So we'll be right back. Do you play fantasy sports? Of course you do. With roughly $7 billion being earned this year in fantasy football, why not earn some easy money in the most lucrative online gambling? I highly recommend using Pro Football Focus. This site breaks down every stat at every position for every single player in the game. With a PFF Edge subscription at only $9.99 a month or $39.99 a year, it gives you the edge to make the easiest money possible. And you can finally enjoy just watching football rather than always stressing about your lineup. Go to chairgating.com right now, subscribe by hitting the green link, and you can think of it as an investment because you will make so much more money back. PFF Edge, try it today. If you live in Texas like me, beach season never really ends. And if you got some extra LBs to lose also like me, but not seeing all the results you want to see when you're hitting the gym, you gotta try the best new pre-workout, Zeus Juice. This company is blowing up right now, but all their prices are still crazy low. They got all the flavors you'd want, like Fruit Punch, Orange Burst, Blue Raz, Watermelon, but you gotta get it while it's hot before everybody else hops on this trend. And if those prices aren't low enough for you, I got good news. Just go to ZeusJuiceOnline.com right now, type in coupon code BELLYUP10OFF. Don't miss this great opportunity to get the best new workout product on the market today. Alright, it's now Friday, which means I've watched the duels last night, and boy was it as boring as The Clash. In this portion of the episode, I'm going to go over the duels and also talk about my predictions and expectations 
for the Daytona 500. The first race of the duels was spectacularly dull. William Byron started out first and after leading only 15 laps ended up finishing 16th. Kevin Harvick led pretty much the remaining 44 out of the total 60 laps for a very uneventful win. The racing was unfortunately as bad as the clash with single file driving the entire time. I've heard a lot of suggestions about how to improve the clash, but I actually heard a great recommendation by Dale Jr. on his podcast the other day on how he thinks NASCAR could fix the clash. He suggested that only drivers that should qualify are pole winners from the previous year. This way it adds some excitement for winning a pole and will hype up the race for fans as the drivers will be more excited when they qualify for the race. This is how they used to qualify for the Clash, and I actually agree with Dale Jr. on this. I think it would add some excitement and purpose to this race that otherwise has none. The second race of the duels was equally as boring, but actually had a few more things that stood out to me. Alex Bowman started first with Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, Clint Boyer, and Austin Dillon following behind in that order. Alex Bowman only led 11 laps before Clint Boyer took over to lead almost the rest of the race with 41 laps. From there, it was pretty much single-file racing with hardly any action. To make matters worse, almost any time a driver dropped down to try to make something happen, they would fall behind and have to wait till there was an opening to get back to the top line. On the last lap, the order was Boyer in the lead with Hamlin second, then Almarola, Logano, and Blaney. Logano made a dive from fourth to the bottom for a bold pass with Blaney right behind. In a race that had essentially no action up until this point, Logano successfully made the pass for the win. Although it looked like Blaney was going to squeeze in for third, he ended up only finishing sixth after losing his momentum. The finishing order was Logano, Boyer, Almirola, Hamlin, and Kurt Busch in fifth. The remaining top ten was Blaney in sixth then McMurray, Elliott, and the Dillon brothers with Austin finishing 9th and Ty in 10th. Although I said it was extremely dull with almost no movement outside of the single file line, there were a few drivers that stood out to me in this race that I wanted to mention. After safely riding in the line almost the entire race, Logano's pass in the final lap proved he knows exactly how to race this plate track and will make a smart execution when it's most important. Also, Hamlin looked really solid by putting pressure on Boyer the whole race and not allowing Blaney to pass at the end. And although his final move didn't pay off, Blaney did look really good the whole race, keeping up with the leading pack, and although he's young, he already looks like an experienced driver. Someone people probably won't talk about as much was Austin Dillon. Even though he only finished ninth, he was one of the few drivers that was willing to continuously make moves throughout the entire race. And even though he would fall behind on a couple failed attempts, it didn't stop him from driving hard and he actually looked like a top 5 driver out there. Lastly, and certainly not least, is Chase Elliott, and like AD, Chase wasn't satisfied with his place in the single file line and wasn't afraid to drop down in an attempt to pass. Although the bottom line was risky throughout the whole race, he was always eager to pass and made some really impressive moves, specifically a tight pass on Kurt Busch. I mean, if you didn't watch the races, which I don't blame you, and you're just listening to this podcast for recaps on the races, I do recommend going to maybe the NASCAR Twitter account and re-watching that clip because it was a really impressive move. And Chase looks like a confident and skilled driver that should have a great season. Which brings me to my Daytona 500 predictions and expectations. Firstly, with the expectations, we all clearly are hoping for the 500. We're all clearly hoping that the 500 is somehow more entertaining than the Clash or the Duels. 
If not, this could be the worst Daytona 500 in modern history. Plenty of people are optimistic, though, claiming that with more cars on the track, it should lead to more action. And also the fact that there is actually something on the line for these drivers to win means that they should be driving a lot more aggressive. This still doesn't change the fact, though, that any time a driver made an attempt to pass on the bottom, they would completely lose all momentum, which is what forced the single-file driving in the first place. Denny Hamlin was one of the drivers not optimistic about the 500, saying that we shouldn't expect much more than what we've already seen, and unfortunately I tend to agree with him, but I hope somehow, for some reason, we're both wrong. In terms of my Daytona 500 predictions, I guess we've seen all we're going to see, so I'll do my best, even though this style of racing doesn't really help much with that. The Fords seem to once again perform the best at this plate track with the top three finishes in both duels which I guess means they won't be seeing the same problems that the Chevys did last year in their transition. Kevin Harvick clearly looked dominant, and it would come as no surprise to anyone if he wins. He's obviously a safe pick, but based on personal preferences, I would hate to see him win, and I apologize to any of my Kevin Harvick fans that listen to this podcast. Actually, no, scratch it, never mind. You got to enjoy eight wins last season and him compete for a championship when he should have probably been disqualified. So, no, no, scratch that. You get no apologies, Kevin Harvick fans. Jimmy Johnson has already looked impressive, and I think he's eager to win early this year and prove that he's still as good as everyone remembers. But wrecking Menard in the clash and then Kyle Busch in his duel makes me really concerned that maybe he's too eager to win, which usually doesn't end well for drivers at Daytona. I could easily see Joey Logano winning though. He raced a really smart race and I think he'll do the same in the 500. Denny Hamlin is also a great driver who shouldn't be overlooked on a race like this, but based on Chase Elliott's bold moves in his dual race, I'm excited to see him go for the win in the 500. Like I said, I think he'll have a really big season this year and clearly a win at the Daytona 500 would prove that. Some of my sleeper picks would be Austin Dillon, Eric Amarola, and Ryan Blaney because they all drove really well and I think they're also in quality cars that could get them a win. My blackout, drunk, deep REM sleeper pick, though, would be Daniel Hemrick. The RCR cars look really solid, and I think he's a great driver who will be eager to prove his worth in that 8 car right away. And who knows? I mean, anything can happen at the Daytona 500, which doesn't help me with these predictions. And I mean, I know I just listed like 10 drivers, a majority of which aren't even in Fords, even though I just mentioned how they performed better. But honestly, I have almost no idea who's going to win this race. Plate tracks are notoriously hard to predict, but I'm especially lost with all this single file driving. If drivers are unable to make passes down low and are forced to stay in a single file line, it seems like the driver that stays in the safe place for most of the race until the end that and makes a bold move will eventually be the one that wins. And I guess in that sense, Joey Logano will probably win this race. The best part about the duels, though, was when it ended and FS1 aired their 30 for 30 style documentary called Unrivaled Earnhardt vs. Gordon. It was an hour-long documentary about Dale and Jeff's rivalry that exploded the sports popularity in the 90s, with commentary from Jeff Gordon, Richard Childress, Dale Jr., Marty Smith, and even Kyle Busch. Seriously, I can't recommend watching this enough. It was truly incredible and gave me so much appreciation for these two drivers, as well as reminded you why you became a NASCAR race fan in the first place, even if it has nothing to do with these two drivers. I really hope NASCAR and FS1 don't stop here either. It was so good and with so many other great storylines in this sport, they really need to immediately start making more and as many as possible. 
If you're a NASCAR fan who enjoys ESPN's 30 for 30s, this will instantly become one of your favorite things to watch. So I guess that wraps it up for this episode. Like I said earlier, it was going to be a short one, right? I just wanted to cover all the events leading up to the Daytona 500. We discussed the qualifying times, we discussed the clash, we discussed the duels. So I think we got everything out of the way, and now we can just sit back and enjoy the Daytona 500. I'm sorry that my predictions maybe aren't as fine detailed as I would normally like them to be, but... You know, the Daytona 500 is always a hard one to predict because not only is it the first race of the season, it's also a plate track, which makes it more difficult. A lot of things happened in the offseason, so who knows what's going to happen. And the single file style of racing really isn't helping. Either way, I know for one, I'm going to enjoy the Daytona 500. Honestly, even if it's as boring as what we've seen so far, I can at least sit back and appreciate that I'm watching NASCAR. Credit to the sport of NASCAR for being able to create something like that. So once again, if you enjoy this, if you enjoy what I do, uh, just spread the word, right? Check out our Twitter and Instagram. I'm doing a pretty good job of expanding our social media reach on those two platforms. Twitter and Instagram are at Sharegaten, and I honestly produce some pretty solid content for that stuff. So definitely check it out, and also just go buy a shirt at our Tee Public store. You know, like I said, I don't get much money from it, but at least it'll spread the word a little bit and get some more listeners on here and maybe some new sponsorship. Also, most importantly, go check out my blogs. I write some awesome NASCAR content. All of them are at bellyupsports.com and it's under the racing tab. I'm the the only guy that covers racing on Belly Up Sports, but bellyupsports.com, the website, is exploding right now and it's a great website to be a part of. So I think we're going to move really far in the future together with me and Belly Up Sports and covering NASCAR. So go be part of that and check out what, we're, what we got going on over there. And I think that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you enjoy what I had to say and we'll see you after the Daytona 500. Peace. It was straight shot. All it took was love to not get caught. I laid three dimes down in the machine on 25 cents. In the backseat, Bert and a friend. One out the window and the other on the other end. One bell broke away from Sunday night's news. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.